Hello and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound Podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds and preview what's to come this next weekend at Charlestown Road. Well, here we are at the end of the year, and for the past several weeks, Jason has been running back through our theme this year, I am his and he is mine. And what he's been doing is looking at it through the life of Peter. We began, first of all, in the Gospels and looking at that concept through Peter in the Gospels. And then we walked through the book of First Peter as we talked about that theme, I am his and he is mine through the pen of Peter. And then we have kind of gone through the book of Second Peter. And this past Sunday, Jason kind of wrapped us up by going to the last chapter of Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 3. And all of this, again, is just driving at this theme of discipleship that I belong to him and he is mine and the wonderful concepts and principles that come out of that. So, Jason, why don't you just kind of walk us through this last sermon here just a little bit, and then we're going to kind of talk about some questions here. Yeah, I've appreciated the opportunity, and uh, it was um, it was good to wrap all of this up in the way that Peter does. He's been my guide and our guide throughout this series. He says in Second Peter chapter 3, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, and he gives us another kind of mission statement. This is the why, what he had been doing. His his aim has been to stir up sincere minds. Uh, we, we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago about how God's living and active word is going to have its intended effect as long as our minds are sincere, or to borrow from Jesus, as long as hearts are good and honest. And so Peter is is dependent upon the hearts that uh, that read his letter, and he's trying to stir those hearts up by way of some really important reminders. And so in chapter 3, we really just zeroed in on what we can know. We didn't see Jesus with our physical eyes. We haven't heard him with our ears. We haven't walked with him the way that Peter did. But one of the the truly powerful things about these letters is he writes with such confidence and conviction with the aim that his readers, who bring a sincere mind and good and honest heart, can know just as surely as Peter knew. So we started where he starts in chapter 3. There are going to be scoffers who come, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. Those scoffers are in a dangerous position because they're overlooking the power of God's Word and some fundamental promises that God has made. And so having acknowledged that, he he addresses Christians and says, you don't be guilty of that. You remember, God isn't like us when it comes to time and uh, the way that he keeps promises. He's patient. He's not wishing that any would perish, but that all would reach repentance. We need to remember, he says, you can know what sort of people you ought to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for hastening the coming of the day of God. And he ends with this grand therefore in the last few verses. We need to be diligent to be found by him, pure 
And at peace, uh, we need to beware of taking his patience for granted. We need to work on and guard our own stability. And the, the last note is grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's an incredible collection of letters, 2,000 years old, but preserved for our learning and our inspiration. And when we read sections like this uh, so many times, if not almost every time, we find lessons layered within them. And, you know, you can, you can look at the historical point here and what this is all about. We can look at a practical lesson here. But sometimes there's just some doctrinal things that's also layered in there. And uh, when you go to the end of this, near the very last things Peter writes here, he talks about the writings of the Apostle Paul. And he says in verse 15 and verse 16, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. And verse 16 says, as also in all his letters, speaking to them of the things which are hard to understand, which the untaught, unstable, distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. The, the, the bridge he's telling us here that we're traveling on is that what Paul wrote was considered scriptures. And so though that tells us right there, a little doctrinal lesson for us, that it wasn't a group of uh, rabbis or a group of churchmen hundreds of years later deciding, is this from God? Is this not from God? The word scripture is only used of God's word. And here Peter understood in the current present tense what Paul was writing was scripture. And yeah. that's, that's just a significant lesson for us. The same Holy Spirit who carried along Isaiah and Ezekiel was at work in Paul's life. And so what Paul is writing is just as authoritative as those Old Testament scriptures that Paul describes in 2 Timothy as being breathed out by God. Yeah, and that's that's just a you know just a good little footnote to keep in your mind because sometimes uh, modern day scoffers today will just tell us that man put the Bible together and all this and and that's not true. Uh, we see as Peter was just dropping the ink on the pages as he was writing this how he viewed what Paul was writing and that's that's just a great lesson for us. But but early in this chapter, uh, as you mentioned, the scoffers or the New American Standard Version uses the word mockers. And and he says, mockers will come with their mocking or scoffing and saying, where's the promise of his coming? The idea here is they had heard that Jesus was coming, but they are now ridiculing that. And they're saying, where's the evidence? And they are thinking that nothing has ever changed. It was the same in our father's generation, our grandfather's. Everything just seems to be the same. The old river just keeps on flowing, and we don't think Jesus is coming. And so how does Peter address that? Yeah, well, at the end of chapter 3, or the end of verse 3 in chapter 3, he gets right to the heart of the matter, and I think that is truly significant. These scoffers or mockers are following right? Everybody follows something. And that is one of the lessons that comes through loud and clear from these two letters. He, he, he has shown us who we ought to follow. Here are scoffers who are following their own sinful desires. And so when we get that in our minds, it frames their mocking or their scoffing uh, in a, a particularly 
powerful way, I think. Why are they making excuses? Why are they making fun of believers? Well, if what the Bible has communicated is true, if what Jesus promised is true, if what those two angels in Acts chapter 1 at Jesus' ascension is true, then I am absolutely without excuse, right? But if I can scoff at the idea of God's promises, if I can mock and and disparage and downplay them, now I have, perhaps at least in my own mind, an excuse to live in whatever way I want to live, right? I have removed accountability from from the equation. It makes me think of how Paul reasons in Acts chapter 26 with Felix about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. If there is a God who has defined what is right and expects me to control myself and is going to come and hold me accountable, (laughs) that dramatically shapes the way that I live, right? But if none of those promises are true, well, I can just live in whatever way I want to live. And so, yeah, there's, there's a saying, you know, when the cat's away, the mice will play. Yeah. And, and, and that's exactly what he's bringing up here. You know, the, you know, the parents are out. Well, it's just the kids at home. Well, they're going to do what they want to do. And, and so if Jesus is not coming, then, you know, open up the floodgates, do what you want to do, have fun, and just just forget all these rules. Yeah, yeah. And as you brought up, what they are communicating is, well, today is just like yesterday. Yesterday was just like 10 years ago or 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago. Nothing is changing. And that is what launches Peter into, okay, listen, you need to recognize, know, remember, they are overlooking some fundamental truths. And they go all the way back to the earliest pages of our Bibles, right? Peter would have us to believe in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, Peter lived thousands of years after Genesis 1 was written, but he did not view himself or his own generation as beyond that, you know, educated beyond that, advanced beyond that. Peter believed that. He he draws our attention to the earth was formed by the word of God. And you remember just a few pages later in your Bible that God brought a great flood on the earth. And that sets him up for, listen, God spoke these things into existence. God has kept his promises. He has held people accountable in the past. And God has promised that one day, all of this that we presently maybe easily take for granted is going to pass away. That ought to shape the way we live day in and day out. Yeah, and I think I think what Peter is doing here is he's showing them. First of all, you don't understand history. Yeah, you, you know, you, you think everything's the same. It was the same as yesterday. My grandfather's age. Nothing has ever changed. Wrong, because there was a time when the world did change, and God destroyed it by the flood. So your 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 look at history is flawed. Number one. Number two, he tells them in verse nine that God doesn't forget his promises. God makes promises, and unlike us, he keeps his promises. And from verse 9, it flows immediately into verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come. 
And so, so this is Peter's answers to them when they, when they're just mocking and saying, well, you know, tomorrow's going to be like today and the next day. Nothing ever changes. You're wrong about the past. You're wrong about the future. And that's why he makes these strong lessons to his disciples there. You know, it, it, absolutely should get us thinking here at the end of 2022, it matters who I listen to, right? There are are people who very sincerely, very genuinely listen to and build their lives on false teaching. You walked us through a little bit about that about a week and a half ago from Second Peter chapter 2. And if the Bible teaches us anything, it is certainly unashamed to tell us, I can be sincere and sincerely wrong because I'm believing teaching that is wrong. I am following desires that are wrong. It matters what I believe. That comes through loud and clear in Second Peter 3. So, so running through this chapter, he, he's going to talk about the coming of Jesus. And so that, that pulls out some questions for us. And, and one of the first questions comes to my mind is, why is he coming? Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if, if you know, just taking yourself out of the Bible, if, if he needed to be here, why did he ever leave? I mean, why, why is he coming? Why is he coming back? Yeah. So I, I would begin where, uh, in many ways, the rest of the New Testament begins immediately after his resurrection, right? In Acts chapter one, we read about him ascending into heaven and these two presumably angelic beings who speak to the apostles and say, listen, he is going to come in the same way as you just saw him go into heaven. And so why is he coming? Number one, to fulfill the promise of God. Uh, Number two, we read on multiple occasions in the New Testament that the day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so why is he coming. He, he is coming as a reckoning of this is what people created in God's image should have been doing all along. We were created to honor and glorify, serve our creator, right? And so the day is coming when all will do what they were created to do. But Second <laughs> Peter gives us the idea, Second Peter chapter 2 and 3 gives us the idea, the, the bulk of the New Testament, one way or another, gives us the idea, okay, not everybody is going to be prepared for that, right? Not everyone will have lived that sort of life. And so in many ways, that takes us to what you preached to us in a, an outstanding sermon this past Sunday evening on the Judgment Day, right? Everyone, the great and the small, you read for us from a couple of different passages, will stand before God and God will render judgment to each one of us according to our works. Beyond that, of course, is our eternal experience based on 
whether or not we listened to and applied the words of Jesus. So in many ways, his coming will trigger the end of our experience here on this earth and usher us into our eternal existence. And so Peter tells us uh, later in this very chapter that when the Lord comes, he says he'll come like a thief, verse 10, and the heavens will pass away with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with intense heat. The earth and its works will be burned up. Now, uh, why is God doing all that? That's, that's part of his creation. Why is he going to destroy it all? Yeah, well, and obviously, I mean, in, in some ways we're groping here and grasping, but one of the passages that really, really helps me along those lines is Romans chapter eight. Uh, Paul, of course, by inspiration of the script, or of, of the spirit, as he's writing the scriptures, He says in Romans 8, verse 19, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. We don't read that kind of language in Genesis 1 and 2, but... Beyond Genesis 3, why are things the way that they are? Well, I think Romans 8 is teaching us the same God who created the earth is subjecting his creation to futility, not willingly, but in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. He goes on to describe the whole creation as groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And he talks about how we ourselves are groaning. So something fundamental changed in Genesis 3, not just with Adam and Eve, not just with humanity, but with all of creation. And there is this great rescue mission, of course, of God that begins in Genesis 3 and is described as having its climax with Jesus. But even with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, when the apostles, like Peter, like Paul, describe our death, they, they remind us it is appointed for man to die once, and after this comes the judgment. And yet, it's always spoken of in times, in terms of just a departure. Right? This is not paradise. There is a separation between us and God, and when this present heaven and earth passes away and eventually we stand before him there's not going to be any separation right and especially for those who inherit an eternal home with him what's going to make heaven heaven is the unbridled unveiled presence and experience of god you know and and another way i look at it is and this is hard for sometimes for us because we like to hang on to things. And if you ever know somebody that's a pack rat or a hoarder, it's even worse. They never throw anything away. And we sometimes get this idea that things must perpetually be there forever. But all through the Bible, we see things serve a purpose. And when that purpose is fulfilled, God does, is done away with it. 
the tabernacle had a purpose until the temple was built. We don't read about the tabernacle anymore because it fulfilled its purpose. The temple had a purpose for a period of time, but then the temple fulfilled its purpose and it was done away. And in Revelation 20, where we read that big scene about the uh, standing before the throne, the judgment scene, it says death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. Death has a purpose. But there'll be a time coming when there won't be any more death because it's fulfilled its purpose. So in the same sense, the earth has a purpose, and God created for that. But this is not heaven. This is not eternity. And when that purpose is fulfilled, like these other things, it will be done away. Yeah. And so that that's kind of what the Bible is showing us. And it has a function. It has a place. But it's not eternal. Heaven and hell is what's eternal, and that's, again, some things we need to keep before us on that line. Yeah, he he drives from there to, okay, since that's going to happen, how ought we to live? And that's where the rubber meets the road, right? We all, as you reminded us on Sunday evening, have a divine appointment. We need to be unafraid, unashamed of studying and teaching those things because (laughs) this is the most serious reality of all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, a couple other thoughts I want to just bring up while we're on this. This is a topic that we need to talk about a lot because it's something that's coming. We need to walk through it with our eyes open and understand exactly what God wants us to do. Uh, there are some in the religious community who believe that Jesus, when he went to heaven, uh, did not get everything done he needed to get done. And so he needs to come back and finish some undone work. What about that? Yeah, no, I, <laughs> you, you read the gospels, you read the book of Acts, you read the way that these inspired apostles, uh, uh, describe what he accomplished. And I think accomplished is a good word to, to attach to that. It reminds me of what we've been talking about in our building blocks track of studies on Sunday mornings. Jesus's final words on the cross, or if not, the, uh, the, they're among the final words. He cries from the cross, it is finished. And of course, there, there are so many things that can go into that statement, but you, you think of how he was described from the very beginning of his, uh, his ministry. John chapter 1, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That sacrifice was finished. Uh, the idea of his being the king that God's people had been looking for for so long. He, he stands before the Roman governor Pilate and says, my kingdom is not of this world. And from his death, burial, and resurrection, these apostles, Paul, John, others talk about the kingdom as a present reality. Our citizenship is in heaven. John describes himself as a, a fellow citizen, a fellow sufferer with the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, there really is one matter of unfinished business, and that will be accomplished at his coming, right? You mentioned death and Hades being thrown into the lake of fire. Death is the last enemy to be defeated. The the war has been won. Jesus is described in 
Romans 8, where we were earlier, as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep and been raised. And so the idea of, well, we're waiting for Jesus to come back to the earth and somehow establish something that will set in order other things or build a literal temple, sit on a literal throne. No, the work is finished. The one promise that we're waiting for fulfillment of really is his second coming. Yeah, the Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He would say in verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after that, those who are Christ as coming, then comes the end yeah. when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father and he has abolished all rule, all authority and power for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. So when he comes, he's not going to start a kingdom. He's going to gather it and give it to the Father. Right. That's what the scriptures teach. And to think that he's coming to be a king, that's not what the scriptures say. He's he's reigning now, and the last enemy will be death, and he'll destroy that. Right. And so, so all of that, again, just helps us to understand and appreciate so much this concept about the coming of Jesus. Peter does a great job, and he did a great job going through those verses to help us understand this concept of what we need to know and appreciate about these things. It is a rich section of Scripture, and it's been my privilege to walk through it. I, I appreciate you revisiting with uh, uh, with us about this last lesson. I really appreciate you filling in uh, and covering Second Peter chapter 2. Like you said, that entire series is available at Charles charlestownroad.org. Such a rich, rich section of God-breathed communication for us. Well, Roger, it is Wednesday, and we are looking forward to this evening, continuing to grow in our understanding and encourage each other. You're on the home stretch of your auditorium Bible class. We are. We just have two classes left, Lord willing. We're going to be talking in our series on profiles of serving, and tonight we're going to be talking about the characteristics of a servant. We're going to walk through Romans chapter 12 and there's a series of bullet points, but they just identify the heart of a servant. And that's what we've been looking at through the lives of different people in the Bible. In our Building Blocks track of studies, we've been exploring this month on Wednesdays, God's Vitamins for Growth from Second Peter chapter 1. And so tonight we're going to talk about the supplements of steadfastness and godliness. What are those things and what difference can they make in our lives? Roger, what about this coming Sunday? We're looking forward to honoring it as the Lord's Day. We'll be gathering, Lord willing, at 9.30 a.m. And I'm going to take us through Luke chapter 7. And there are three different intersections we find there between Jesus and other people. And we're just going to look at those three intersections and life lessons we learned from that. And we think will be very helpful for everyone. We would love to have you join us tonight. Uh, we appreciate you listening to This Week at Charlestown Road. We're already looking forward to this Sunday, the best day of the week. Thanks for listening. We would love to have you come and grow with us.